Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you're following the years, I don't, you know, what's a year or two in the BC, but anyways. Um, so it's about 20 years later, um, and the Babylonians have already been conquered. They've already, they've already, the Chaldeans, the, the, uh, the Medes and the Persians have already come in. And, uh, and so there's a lot of changes going on. In fact, there's big changes for Daniel. Daniel is probably about 80, roughly about 80 years old, maybe even older at this point. And so there's big changes in the society that Daniel was living in. First of all, a huge change is there's a new government. I mean, a completely new government, and with new government, there would be new leadership. So there's new, new rulers and new magistrates, new satraps, you know, all these, all these different layers and levels of, of, of leadership. It's all changed now. With that, there's probably new laws as well. And then, of course, there would also be new cultural practices because this is of another nation that's coming in. So it would be different than, the, than what Babylonian life was like for the last however many years that Daniel was there and for all the Babylonians. So what does Daniel do with all these changes? Well, I can tell you what he probably didn't do. He probably didn't run out to a local bookshop and pick up a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Babylonians. <laughs> now, he probably didn't do that, I'm guessing, you know. Um, and he probably didn't also pick up that book, How to Win Friends and Influence Persians. That would probably be a very useful book. You know, there's new, there's new Persians are coming in. That's, I've got to learn how to influence them. He didn't do that. What did he do? He went to the scriptures. He went to the word of God. When there's a change, and there was all this stuff going on, he's like, man, what does God's word have to say? He didn't have the complete Bible like you and I have today. Um, we know from, because he quotes Jeremiah, so we know that he at least has the scroll of Jeremiah available to him. In fact, he mentions the law of Moses. So he has some of the Old Testament. I don't know if he has all of it, but he has that portion of it as well. Um, but even though Daniel didn't have any of the New Testament that you and I have, man, we are blessed with so much. Daniel understood what Paul would write about 1,500 years later in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Daniel had that understanding that the word of God is what I need to turn to, and that's what he did. He went and he turned to the word of God. Now we have... Uh, lots of changes going on around us. So what does God's word have to say to you and I about the time that we're living in? Because God's word's applicable no matter, it, it stands the test of time. So what does God's word have to say about the day 2000, uh, 2021 where we are living in today? Well, Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. It's going to be a departing. The Bible also refers to it as an apostasy, a turning away from the faith. He also wrote in 2 Timothy 3.1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times would come. We are living in a perilous time. A perilous time spiritually, most importantly, for you and I as believers. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And then Peter wrote this, 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. So the Bible even tells you and I what's going to happen in the, because we are, I believe we are living in the last days right now. And so the Bible has words for us even today, 2021. What's our culture like? The writer of Hebrews wrote this in light of the last days. He said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who was promised, he who promises faithful, <clears throat> excuse me, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> excuse me. We're to hold fast to the confession of our hope. We're to consider one another. We're to be together, to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another. Because in these last days, the Bible says it's perilous times that we're in. And so we need that. So the, God's word tells you and I what we're to do in our day and age. Well, Daniel went to the scriptures and God spoke to Daniel through the scriptures. Daniel read it and he studied it. I've got a quote from James Montgomery Boyce, and he says this, <clears throat> Daniel was a prophet himself. Nevertheless, he found it important to read the Bible and to be instructed by it, rather than trusting in some special new revelation. We are not prophets. How much more important a role should the Bible, play, Bible study play in our lives? Here's a prophet, and yet he's going to the scriptures to study it, to find out what the Lord has to say. Daniel was a prophet of the Lord, but he was also a student of the word. I remember years ago, uh, we had a guy that was part of our fellowship. Well, he wasn't really part of our fellowship, but he'd come and, come and go. And uh, he was a self-proclaimed prophet. And uh, I never really challenged that about him. But one thing that I noticed, and the last time that he came, came and went, because he'd be like here for a couple weeks, and then he'd be gone for like five years. And then he'd come back a couple weeks and be gone again. And the last time he did that, I remember him walking in here. And I, and, and I was looking at him, and I go, you know what? I have never seen him bring a Bible to church. I've never seen him bring a Bible. And usually when he'd come, he'd sit right in the front row and he would just watch me as I'm, as I'm talking. And I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting. You know, it's like he knows it all or something. I mean, that's my opinion. I don't know if that's how he felt, but, but Daniel was a prophet and a student of the word. And so it's important. The word is important for you and I. Well, I mentioned that Daniel probably, in fact, he quotes Jeremiah. So he had the scroll of Jeremiah. He probably read Jeremiah 29, verse 10, where it says, excuse me, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. That had to have been good news for Daniel. Can you imagine you're reading that? And, you know, he's probably doing the math. And, you know, he's probably figuring, well, when was this exact? Man, it's got to be close. It's got to be close because I'm 80. I've been here for, you know, and he probably counted the years. It's been 70 years. Daniel believed what he read. He believed the scriptures and his belief turned into action. Why? Because look at verse 3. Daniel writes this, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, 
in ashes. He, I, I was just this week as I've been preparing this message, I kept on going back to this verse that he set his face towards the Lord God. I love the way that says that. You know, you and I, maybe it's just me, but a lot of times I'm like, Lord, shine your face upon me. Look upon me, you know, with your favor and everything. I think of Numbers 6, 25 and 26, this blessing, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we want the Lord's we want his attention. We want him to, to be looking and to know what we're going through and just to, to, to bless us. But here, Daniel is turning his face to the Lord. That's what we, we should be doing, turning our face towards the Lord. So Daniel turned to the Lord in prayer in response to what the Lord showed him in Scripture. And that kind of raises a question, and maybe you're thinking about this. You know, here's Daniel, and he's reading these prophecies, and the, and the Lord says through these prophecies that, you know, it's 70 years and then you're going to be out of, I'm going to bring you out of Babylon or out of, well, it would have been, yeah, it would have been Babylon at that time still. I'm going to bring you out of there. You're going to come back to the land. There was this promise. And if he knew that God was going to do that, why would he pray for it? Why would he pray for it? John Calvin who's the father of Calvinism. And, and uh, if you were to take Calvinism and put it, kind of just compact it into a nutshell, basically everything is preordained or foreordained by God. And that's, that's kind of the whole, that's Calvinism in a nutshell, I would say. But he writes this about this passage of Scripture. He's talking about faith, and he says that faith is no careless speculation satisfied with simply assenting to God. In other words, God says he's going to do it. It's not just, okay, I'm going to sit back and let God do what he does. He says this, when we really embrace the grace of God, which he offers us, he meets us and precedes us with his goodness, and thus we in time respond to his offers and bear witness to our expectation of his promises. We see his promises in the word, and we start praying. We pray with expectation, Lord, fulfill that promise. And then he writes this. He says, nothing, therefore, can be better for us than to ask for what he has promised. Prayer is a fascinating thing that you and I have the privilege of doing. We have the privilege of praying to the Lord. Prayer is not just to petition God to do something. It's not just that. However... We're told in Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, so we are to bring our requests to the Lord, but that's not only what prayer is. If that's all your prayer is, is just you're asking God for something, you're missing out on so much of what prayer is. And prayer is not just to ask for forgiveness of sins. Although... Psalm 20 or excuse me Psalm 32 verse 5 says I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin Now we are to call we are to we are to go to the Lord in prayer and ask for forgiveness when we sin But it's not just that either Prayer and I think this is what John Calvin was relating to prayer is meant to increase our faith you know, we pray confidently according to God's will and according to his promises. 
We're to join him in what he's doing. But there's, I think this is the most important aspect of prayer. Most importantly, I think prayer aligns your and my heart with the heart of the Lord. Because we, we, that's what happens as you're praying. You know, you might be praying, maybe you're praying for a situation. There's something going on in your life or a difficult person or you're praying for something. And you're, that's your focus of your prayer. But you know, as you're praying, God's changing your heart. He's meeting you in your prayer. And, and prayer changes us. It aligns our hearts with the heart of the Lord. Daniel probably also read this in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 13. For thus says the Lord after 70 years, and I, I read this first part. For thus says the Lord after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Then he says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you and I are praying, God meets us in our prayers, and he reveals himself to us through prayer. I was thinking about that this week. And my mind, I started thinking about in Revelation. I know you women are going through the book of Revelation. I don't know what chapter you're in, but I want to read this portion that John saw in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. He says this, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. I think that's why the psalmist said this, Psalm 141 verse 2, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Why am I saying that? What I'm thinking about is that as you and I are praying, and maybe you're just, you know, maybe you're just asking the Lord to bless your food before you eat a meal or something. Your prayers are ascending up to the throne room of God. And when I thought about that, it just the realization, I'm, I'm like, sometimes I'm kind of flipping in my prayers. I just kind of rattle off a prayer, and yet it's, it's there at the throne room. It's ascending before God. God hears our prayers. And, and so when I'm praying, I'm like, you know, I wonder if I should be a little bit more reverent when I pray. I wonder if I should just have that realization that God is the, the, the maker of heaven and earth. The Almighty is, is listening to my voice as I'm praying to him. That's a, that's a heavy thing when you think about it. But that's what happens when you and I are praying. The writer of Hebrews said this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And when you and I lift our voice in prayer, it, again, it, it, it ascends right up, to the right up to heaven to the throne of Almighty God. Prayer is important. God hears our prayers, and God meets us in our prayers. And as we spend time in God's presence in prayer, we leave changed. 
Prayer changes us. God hears our prayers and he meets us in our prayers and he reveals things to us that we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't understand or we wouldn't know apart from prayer. He reveals to us his heart and sometimes even his will. The Lord told Jeremiah this, Jeremiah 33, verse 3. He said, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And if you think about this, not only did Daniel, and we're not going to get to the end of the book of, of the chapter of Daniel, but not only did God hear Daniel's prayer and respond to Daniel's prayer, but God revealed to Daniel much more than what Daniel was even asking about and praying about. He revealed what would happen in the latter days. In fact, what uh, what Gabriel the angel repeat, revealed to Daniel at the end of Daniel chapter 9, it, had as a, it has an impact on the nation state of Israel today. I mean, that, so God's just revealing that much more as we go to him in prayer. Anyway, so Daniel saw the changes around him. He turned to the scriptures. He read it and studied it. He believed it, and then he responded. He set his face towards the Lord in prayer. And so then now in verses 4 through 19, we actually have Daniel's prayer that we're going to be looking at, at least a portion of it, this morning. Now, this, I just want to say, this was besides Daniel's daily prayers. Remember, they were trying to entrap Daniel because he was praying, and they, the, the people that were jealous of him, I forgot what chapter we were in, maybe it was chapter 4 or chapter 5. They, anyways, they were jealous of Daniel, and so they knew that the only way they could get him was he would pray three times a day towards Jerusalem. And so they made this, uh, they made this rule that you, know, you couldn't pray to anyone but the king, and, but they knew that they were doing it just basically because they knew Daniel would he'd be praying. So for 80-plus years... Daniel prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem. He did that. He didn't stop doing that. That was his daily thing. This prayer that we're going to read now, this is different. This prayer, he didn't face Jerusalem. He faced the Lord. And those prayers that he did daily, he did them three times a day for 80 years. This is one recorded prayer. And in this prayer, Daniel fasts and he's wearing sackcloth and ashes. And that wouldn't have been a common everyday thing. Daniel wouldn't have done that every day. Of course, you couldn't fast every day for 80 years. You'd, you'd, you probably wouldn't survive that. But, but So this is a separate prayer to what Daniel was doing on a regular basis. This prayer was accompanied with the wearing of uh, sackcloth and ashes and with fasting. Fasting, of course, is, you know, Choosing to refrain from eating and drinking, and or drinking, I should say. Sackcloth, that's something that we don't really think about too much. I have an image on the screen, and it shows burlap, but actually sackcloth wasn't burlap. That's kind of our common, common conception. It actually is, uh, refers to a material of poor quality made of goat hair. So it would have been very uncomfortable, probably scratchy, itchy, you know, rough, rough clothing that he would have clothed himself with. And ashes describes loose soil or dirt put on a person's head to indicate mourning. And I know in the book of Job, I think Job actually sat in ashes. Um, so it was a sign of, of ashes. Now, why did Daniel do that? Was he trying to get God's attention? 
Well, first of all, it was an outer expression of what was going on in Daniel's heart. Daniel was mourning, as we'll see as we go through this. He's mourning over the sin of the nation and his sin. And he's humbling himself. And so this is, this is, this is what he was doing. It was also helping Daniel to focus himself on the spiritual by denying the physical. Again, it's not, it's not to please God. It's not to get in a special favor with God. It's something that Daniel was doing for himself. It's putting away of anything that would distract him from prayer. Prayer became his sole focus by denying the flesh. Again, it doesn't score points with God, but it prepares us for spiritual battle when we fast. And um, I've never worn sackcloth and ashes. I don't know if you've ever have, but I've, I've fasted and prayed before. It prepares us for spiritual battle, and it puts us in a position to hear him more clearly because all these other things are not distracting me. I'm just solely focused on prayer. And so that's what Daniel was doing here. And so verses 4 through 15, Daniel is confessing confessing sins and then at the end of the end of that prayer he's making a petition to god we're going to look at the confession of daniel this morning and so verse four and i prayed to the lord my god and made confession and said O lord great and awesome god who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments what a way to start our prayers Daniel here is recognizing that the Lord is great and awesome. Man, we need that, don't we? When we're praying about some serious thing or something that really seems like it's, it's very big in our lives, it's a major thing that we're facing, we need to be reminded that we're praying to God, the maker of heaven and earth, the almighty, great and awesome God. Daniel also recognizes that God keeps his covenant. Man, he's a faithful God. We pray to a God, the Lord, that is faithful, will never disappoint us, will never let us down. Daniel also recognizes that God is merciful. And you know, whenever we approach the Lord, we're always approaching him on the basis of his mercy. It's never on the basis of anything, you know, like we deserve God's presence or, or you know, I'm righteous and now I can, no, it's always based on God's mercy. And so Daniel starts out with this perspective, which is a good perspective for you and I in prayer, praying, recognizing who am I praying to? Man, I'm praying to God of heaven and earth. So he starts out his prayer with the right perspective of who he is praying to. And so I'll read it again. Oh, Lord, great an awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And I just have a rhetorical question to throw out there. If you say you love the Lord this morning, are you keeping his commandments? Are you doing what he says? 1 John 5.3 said, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We have to ask ourselves, man, do I really love the Lord? Because if I love the Lord, I'm going to be doing what the Lord tells me to do. And so starting with verse 5, we have the start of his confession. It says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. They had departed from God's precepts and judgments. What are precepts and judgments well precepts are god's commands 
what he says in the Bible as far as his commands. That's precepts. That's what precepts means. Judgments are basically what God determines. In other words, and I'll give you an example, what does God call sin? That's God's judgments. What does God call sin? You know, we're living in a, like uh, Paul said, we're living in perilous times right now. We see this in spades around us. Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I like Psalm 119 verse 34. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. So, you know, I have to ask myself, am I determined to obey God's commands wholeheartedly? Am I, am I determined to keep his precepts? Psalm 119, verse 30, I have chosen the way of, your, of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Your determinations. In other words, do we see sin the same way God sees sin? Do we, do we view it the same way he does? And not just sins. God's judgments isn't just sins. We, maybe that's what the impression I'm giving. But God is compassionate. Do we, do we have the same compassion that God has? Do we have the same mercy? To, do we rejoice in what God rejoices in? Those are God's judgments, his determinations. Verse 6, Daniel continues, Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the peoples of the land. They didn't heed the prophets God had sent them. And undoubtedly, Daniel would have read Jeremiah 35, verse 15, which, by the way, there was no you know, chapter and verse designations in those scrolls. But Daniel would have came to this passage at some point reading the book of Jer- or the scroll of Jeremiah. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way. Amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Have you ever read the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. <clears throat> he was for his entire ministry was ministering right at the end of the of the kingdom of Judah, the nation of Judah before they went into Babylonian captivity. He was alive when they actually went into Babylonian captivity and he, he was constantly calling the nation to repent for as many years as he was his ministry was and he never had one person turn to the Lord. Man, I think about that. I think, man, how discouraging that would be if I was a pastor and not one person ever came to the Lord, not one person ever responded to God's word. That would have been hard. That was Jeremiah's life. But Jeremiah wasn't the only one. God raised up prophet after prophet after prophet, speaking to the children of Israel. And he says, we did not heed the prophets God has sent us. We do the same thing when we disregard the word of the prophets which we have in our Bible or the words of the apostles that we have. We can, we can fall into that same trap, that same sin of disregarding the word of God, just like Daniel is praying here. Verse 7, 
He says, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Shame of face, it's talking about humiliation of disgrace. And for you and I to truly repent of our sin, we have to hate our sin. We have to be ashamed of what we've done. That's what true repentance is. When we hate our sin and we turn away from it. Jesus was speaking about this in Luke chapter 18 when he told this story. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Jesus said this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is exactly what we see Daniel doing. He's humbling himself before the Lord. Lord, shame of face belongs to us. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness though we have rebelled against him. I love that. David echoed this in Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. God loves to forgive. He loves to restore I think of the story when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, and you know that story. There was the son that, that squandered his father's wealth and he, uh, his, his inheritance, and he went off and, and he just partied it up. And eventually he ran out of money, ran out of friends, and he was just in misery. And he said, you know, my servants have it better at, the, at my father's house than the way I'm living right now. And I mean, he came to his sense, he says, I'm going to go back to my dad and just ask him if I can be a servant. That's humility. We told, we're told here, Jesus says this in Luke 15, verse 20, about the prodigal. <clears throat> and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is a God as Jesus was, was telling the children of Israel or telling the, the people of Israel that day, this is the heart of God. Man, he wants to forgive. He's merciful. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 10, We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So they had these prophets that would come. They, they had the scrolls. They had all this, and they disregarded it. You and I, we not only have the voice of the Lord in scriptures, but we also have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in us. How much more accountable are we for what the Holy Spirit tells us? 
We're, we're that much more accountable. They only had the scrolls. We have, this, we have God's word and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So we're accountable that much more for obedience. Verse 11 Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole uh, heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Daniel, as he's searching the scriptures, as he's reading these scrolls and he's reading the law of Moses, he understands that the captivity of Judah was a direct result from breaking God's covenant with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Later on, <clears throat> as you get into the, towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy and in Leviticus 26, um, the Lord God led the children of Israel to a place, uh, to two mountains, and one was Mount uh, Ebal and the other is Mount Gerizim. Those were known as the mountains of blessing and cursing. And the children of Israel actually divided, and one went up on one mountain, one up on the other mountain, and they would actually read blessings, you know, if, if you obey the Lord, and you can read that in, if you want it later on. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy 28, it's, it's all written there, or Leviticus 26. And so one mountain was all the blessings. If you obey the Lord, if you keep his commandments, if you, if you don't adopt what the, the nations around you, man, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have, you know, great crops. Your uh, five of you will chase a thousand. I mean, it's just you're going to be blessed by the Lord. But if you break the covenant, if you disregard the Lord, if you start adopting the idolatry of the nations around you, and then these are the curses that you're going to have. And God told him exactly what would happen. And, and Daniel's reading these scrolls and going, this is exactly why we're here. We deserve what we're getting because we've broken God's commandments. This is exactly what God would, uh, said would happen. And yet he warned him year after year, over and over, prophet after prophet. I don't know if you've ever read through the entire Old Testament. Um, we're now kind of doing a little bit of jumping around. I'm still making it. We've actually, I've actually taught through the entire Bible already once, the whole Bible, um, New Testament several times, but the Old, Old Testament at least once, and we're back, going back through it again. Um, but the first time I did it, <clears throat> started in Genesis and went all the way to Malachi. And, uh, you know, so you get the books of the law and you make your way all through that and then you get the other books and stuff. And um, when you get to the major and the minor prophets, it's like, it's almost like it's repetitive. It's repent, repent, you know, and the prophets are saying a lot of the same things over and over and over again. And you go, man, this is getting kind of old. It's just teaching through it, you know, one after another. But the reality is that's exactly, man, that's the heart of God. He kept sending people year after year, prophet after prophet to the nation of Israel, to the nation of Judah. Tell him to repent. He didn't want them to go into captivity. He didn't want them to, to, be, to be overrun by their enemies. But they refuse to believe. And so God's righteous. He's merciful and he's patient. He's long-suffering. But he's righteous and he doesn't give empty warnings. 
In fact, Paul wrote this in Galatians 6, 7, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And these guys, they sow to the wind and they reap to the whirlwind, as one of the scriptures says. And Daniel recognizes we deserve what we're getting because of what we've done. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought you up, or who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. You know, they're, they're, they've been overran, they've, they've been, they're in, been in captivity for 70 years, and they said, God's righteous in what he's doing. He is righteous in what, he's, what he has done. But we have acted wickedly. Now I'm going to read a portion to you out of Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 42. It says, but if they confess, and this is, <clears throat> by the way, I'll just, I'll just preface this. This is one of those chapters I mentioned where the blessings and the cursings are in there. The it starts out with all the blessings and then it goes to the cursings. And then after, after the Lord spelled out all, what all the curses would be of disobeying him, he says this in verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, that they have, and that they have also walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into, their, into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember and I will remember the land. Daniel is doing exactly what God told the children of Israel to do in Leviticus 26, verses 40, verse 42. What was Daniel doing? He's walking out the scriptures in his life. He's reading it, and then he's saying, you know, I'm going to do this. And, he, and he's doing it exactly. What a lesson that would be for you and I. If you and I, as we're reading the Bible and the Lord reveals something to us, we go, you know what? I'm going to start doing this because this is exactly what God says. That's what, that's what Daniel did. Daniel is not only a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And there's also another point I want to bring out, and I think this is an interesting thing. Daniel was a man. He was born in sin. We know he's a sinner. There's, there's only one person that, ever, that didn't sin, and that was Jesus, the Son of God. So Daniel was a sinner, born in sin, like everyone but if you go through the Bible, there's not one sin that's mentioned of Daniel's. Not one's read. Now, not, not, I'm not saying he wasn't a sinner, but nothing is recorded in the Bible. You go to the book of, or you, re, you look at Moses' life. Moses sinned. Great man. God used him in a mighty way for the children of Israel. But Moses sinned. Abraham. Man, Abraham sinned. King David, the greatest king that Israel ever had, he sinned. And yet, Daniel, there's no recognition of his sin in the Bible. And yet, if you haven't noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but through these last few verses, did you notice how many times Daniel said, we've sinned against you, we've departed from your laws, we have done this or that. What's Daniel doing? He's identifying with the sin of the people around him. 
If you jump down to verse 20, just take a peek there because we won't get there this morning. It says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people. It's an interesting thing. You know, every prophet, every prophet in the Bible, with the exception of one, there's one prophet in the Bible, Jonah, that didn't do this. Every other prophet in the Bible grieved over the sin of the people and identified with them in their sin. Jonah was the only one that didn't. Jonah was hoping that the Lord was going to destroy the Ninevites, and he sat up on a mountain and was like disappointed when God, when God was merciful to, uh, to the Ninevites, and the Lord did rebuke him for that. But Daniel, just like all the other prophets before and after him, Man, they identified with the sins of the people. They, 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 it was, it was as much, he was as much a part of it because he was in that culture. Sometimes I think we isolate ourselves from the sins of the nation around us. We're, we're you know, won't go into that right now. <laughs> That's not my foot, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> have you ever stubbed or dislocated a toe? I know, it's like gross. We've got bear claws in the back afterwards, so if you guys want to, they're kind of, you know. Okay, I know. You don't have to look at this. <laughs> have, I, I, put that, I saw that one and I went, man, that's me. I have, you wouldn't believe how many times I've dislocated my baby toe. I, on the same foot, always. I just, so I don't know if you've ever stubbed your toe or dislocated a toe like that. Um, I'll tell you what happens to me. The very first thing I do when I stub at my toe or I dislocate it like that, I gently, I come to the ground and I gently cradle it in my hand as I'm weeping gently. No, 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 that's not exactly what. I'll have to be honest with you. The first thing is you'll hear words that you never heard in the Bible. <laughs> and then you'll hear me calling down fire and brimstone on whatever was in the way. You know, that's, that's, what's the next thing I do? The next thing that I do, though, is my body compensates for that sore toe. Everything's, the, you know, my hands are gently, you know, massaging my foot and, and uh, I, my, my, my leg lifts up so that I don't put pressure on that poor toe, you know, and, and so then my arms, they're supporting me. Every part of my body is, is trying to help so that that toe doesn't suffer as much. Then I start repenting afterwards. You know, I repent for the sins that came out of my mouth. But what's my point? Listen, when a part of the physical body suffers, messes up, does something stupid, you know, I could probably blame my eyes. Why didn't I see that basket there? That was the last time it was a laundry basket. Um, but my body, every part of my body sympathizes and comes around and tries to aid that one injured part of the body. My body is quick to identify with a suffering toe and to minister to it in any way that it can. It doesn't, abound, it doesn't abandon it and say, well, listen, tough. You blew it, man, so just tough it out. You know, suck it up, buttercup. You know, my, I don't do that. My body doesn't do that. But the body of Christ, the body of Christ, man, you know, what do we do when someone falls in sin? What do we do when someone blows it and they do something stupid? You know, how do we do? Do we just, do we just throw them out and judge them? Do we treat them like they're on their own? But, you know, we've got in these days and age, and 
we got discernment ministries, and I think they have their role in, in Christianity, but, man, they're so quick to jump on anything that's, you know, oh, that minister, that pastor, they invited that person there, they can't, you know, and they, they're just down on everything, condemning everything. We pass judgment on those who've fallen in sin. We find fault with everyone else around us. And that, that's, we're to be like the physical body, man. We're to be coming around and trying to help. But instead, so often, we have the other attitude. And so that's Daniel's. Daniel's heart, man, Lord, we've sinned. We've been a part of this. So I have to wonder, you know, what's, what's God's heart in this when things like this happen? What's God's heart in this matter? Next week, we're going to look at the last part of Daniel's prayer which, again, this was Daniel's confessions of sin. And then the next, the next few verses are going to be his petitions of the Lord. And then God's going to respond to Daniel's prayer. Because God responds to our prayers. He hears them and he responds to it. But right now we're going to go ahead and celebrate communion. I'll get that ugly toe picture off the screen. But anyways, I'll have the worship team come on up. And then let's go to the Lord in prayer.